This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. We're in the middle of a, uh, what I call a, a three-week series within a series, uh, covering three often neglected, frequently misunderstood foundations, basics to the Christian life. Last week, we looked at baptism. So central to Christian faith and practice was baptism that the idea of an unbaptized Christian would have been foreign to the New Testament writers. Today, we're going to investigate a second related but often neglected, frequently misunderstood, you got all that, practice of the Christian church, and that is church membership. Church membership. Now, if you're a Christian, the local church is not a club. It's not a voluntary organization where membership is optional for you. I've already provoked you, haven't I? It's not, what else can we say it's not? It's not a friendly group of people who share an interest in religious things and so they gather weekly to talk about the divine. Nor is the church a service provider where the customer has all the authority. Yes, I'm aware of how ironic that is given we call this gathering a worship service. So what I'm going to ask you to do is simple. Like last week, erase Everything you think you know about church membership, okay, just erase it. Let's start over, and I'm going to admit right out of the gate that this topic has bothered me since I was in college. And you say, wow, you live with irritation, don't you? <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> there has been a disconnect for me personally between how churches often practice church membership and what I see in the scriptures. So I'm thankful for this sermon because this has forced me to go apply some ointment to this irritation and see if I can get some resolution with it. Here's what we're going to look at today. What is a church member? Is a church member universal or local? What is a church member called to? What is the process for becoming a church member and personal takeaways? It's not as long as the outline would indicate. Okay. What is a church member? Now, I would propose we go back to the biblical text to look for some answers here. Where did this language of church member come from? Huh? Why? Is that something we invented? Did we come up with that? Has it been around for a while? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do a a quick survey, one passage after another, smattering of New Testament passages that that serve as the genesis for the concept of church membership. Okay? These are the passages. We don't know where church membership came from. I'm going to give it to you. Okay? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Okay? So... He's talking about the physical body, the human body. We've got body parts. He's using the term member, right? You've got hands and and feet and you've got knees and ankles and all the other stuff. 
right, that comprises a body, body parts. He's using body members, members. Okay? For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And then at the conclusion of the section, he says, now you, you Christians, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay? Members of it. The, the church is the body of Christ, physical body of Christ. Think of it that way. Jesus is the head. We're the body. And we're members of this body of Christ. Some of you are fingernails. Some of you are eyes. And ears and nose. You got it? All right, next one. Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's talking about the, your body now. Okay, he's back to that, right? The body. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one another, one of another, okay? Members of one another. So not only are Christians the body of Christ, they're members of each other. You know, this, this really tells me that Paul's got a better understanding of biology than maybe we, we think. Because think about, think about how one body part on you contributes to the good of another body part. Okay, your, your, your legs and your feet take you to places that are good for what? Maybe your soul, maybe your stomach. Yes? Your mouth, your taste buds. Think about, think about how helpful the hand is to other parts of your body. Brush your teeth at night? Yeah? Yeah? So he's, he's fleshing out something. He's foreshadowing something that we're going to see a little bit later that members are responsible for one another. Church members are responsible. They contribute to the good of other body parts. Ephesians 5. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Okay? Members of his body. Um, One more. Ephesians 2. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members, here we go, members of the household of God. Okay, now we're changing the imagery. Okay, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we, we shift from the body now to a family, a household. And by the way, the oikos, oikos is your Greek word for the day. Oikos is household. Okay, we think of family uh, today as often the nuclear family, husband, wife, kids. The oikos in the New Testament is extended family. You see this in Eastern cultures often. Uh, I spent some time with a Hmong family several years ago and got to realize that under the same roof, we just don't have husband, wife, and kids. We've got parents, we've got uncles, we've got adult siblings. There's a lot to keep track of, right? That's the oikos, that's the household. Okay, so we've changed from body imagery to, to family imagery. Your, think of it, your extended family, not just your nuclear family. Your family has members. Yes, husband, wife, son, daughter, uncle, aunt, nephew, niece, grandfather, grandmother, grandson, granddaughter. Christians are members of God's family. So, all that to say, what is a church member? A Christian. 
a Christian. When Paul's discussing members in these verses, he does not have in mind two classes of Christians. There's only one kind of Christian. Someone who's a member of the body of Christ. Now, someone might be thinking, okay, well, I'm a Christian. Does that mean I'm a member of Alliance Bible Church? And what is this local church membership stuff about? Well, that introduces the second question. Is a church member universal or local? Is a church member universal or local? Now, one of the aspects to the nature of the church that the New Testament teaches is that the church is both local and universal. So Paul, for example, makes mention of local churches that met in homes, like that of Priscilla, Aquila, Nympha, Philemon. There are local churches that met throughout the region of Galatia and the cities of Rome, Laodicea, Colossae. It's local. Alliance Bible Church is a local church. But there are also a dozen places in the New Testament where the term church isn't used in reference to some particular church in a specific geographic region, but to the universal church. Galatians chapter 1, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, Paul talking, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Or Ephesians chapter 1, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So neither of these passages are talking about some particular geographic local church, but the church universal. So the church is both, it's local and it's universal. Now what does that mean for church membership? Well, when a Christian becomes a church member, they are a member of the universal church. Okay, they are a member of the universal church. But do they become a member of some particular local church? Or are they to become a member of some particular local church? I would say yes. But we need to piece together some biblical evidence to get there. Okay? So track with me as we work through some of these. Is is a Christian supposed to be a member of a local church? We know that all Christians are members of the universal church. We've got that established. Are they to be members of a particular local church? Let me throw these out there for you to think about. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word, remember this is Peter preaching the gospel to those gathered, right? He preaches the gospel. Those who received, accepted his word, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, as I look at this, the question that nags me, and it's nagged me since college, being a member of the universal church is all that matters. Why did the apostles count? the number of people baptized and why did they add to their number why take the time to do this and my question were they were they taking names too if you're just if it's just all about the universal church just dunk them and send them on their way why do anything more with it unless the apostles felt they had a responsibility to these church members going forward and maybe these church members had a responsibility to each other Here's another one, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, two questions occur to me here. First, if there's no biblical requirement to belong to a local church, then which leaders should an individual Christian obey and submit to? That's the first question. Second, and more personally, who will I as a pastor give an account for? Now, regarding the first question, the scriptures clearly command Christians to submit to and honor an elder body. That's the Hebrews 13 passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Timothy 5 also talk about this. If there's no understanding of local church membership, then who are we to submit to and obey? Is it 
anyone with the title pastor or anyone with the title elder from any church? Should, should you as a Christian obey and submit to the elders of First Baptist in Fargo, North Dakota? The point is, is that without membership, who is it that the New Testament is referring to who must submit to a specific group of leaders? Some kind of expressed willingness or covenant or agreement or commitment, that is membership, has to precede a person's submission to a group of leaders. It has to precede it. Now, regarding the second question, the scriptures clearly command an elder body to care for specific people. Be shepherds of God's flock, Peter writes, 1 Peter 5. So, as pastors and elders, they have to know who's a part of the flock. Huh? Be shepherds of God's flock. Who's in the flock? Who's not in the flock? Who's in the flock? Who's not in the flock? Uh, will our pastors and elders be held accountable for all Christians in Southeast Wisconsin? There has to be a way for us to know who's in the flock and who's not in the flock. Now, somebody's going to say, well, duh, church attenders, the people who attend your church. Okay, now I'm going to return to that in a minute, but just for now, think about the ambiguity of that phrase. What constitutes a church attender? At what point is someone not, and now they are? I'll come back to that. Now, these, these first two questions in this outline are coming at church membership from two different directions. And they're kind of pushing inward to help us see the contours of church membership. On the one hand, a church member is a Christian. Hmm? That's it. Member of the universal church. On the other hand, a church member is known to be a church member in some particular local church. There has to be definition to who is a church member and who isn't. The one for me that has um, ironed out some of the wrinkles, and we're going to look at this passage in a little more detail next week, is 1 Corinthians 5. Um, in this text, Paul confronts the church in Corinth for approving a man walking in blatant, unrepentant sexual immorality. And he calls them arrogant. He tells them to remove the man for the destruction of his flesh and the hopeful salvation of his soul. In verses 11 and 12, Paul pulls no punches. Here's what he says. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So notice Paul distinguishes between those who are inside the church and outside the church. You see that in these verses? So a couple implications here. There is an in-the-church in group, in-the-church group, and there's an outside-the-church group. Okay? Being in the church is definable. He's assuming it's definable. Otherwise, what he's asking them to do doesn't work. The other implication is that a person can be removed from being in the church. Now, what, what is that about? The church does not bear the sword. Okay, so this is not, uh, this isn't referring to physically removing someone from attending church or from the church gathering. This removal has to be something like removal from church membership. Such a formal removal would not be possible if there was no such thing as clear membership. 
who is an accountable part of this body and who is not. So church discipline doesn't work if local church membership doesn't exist. The passage makes no sense if the Corinthian church didn't have some public formal means by which people identified themselves with the church. So, let me review. All Christians are members of the body of Christ. Yes? All Christians are called to make the profession of faith known to a local church. Church membership in a local church is the way a member is able to say, Hey, elders. Hey, pastors. I'm a member of this church. I submit to your leadership. Hey, fellow members. I'm a Christian. Help me follow Jesus. And I promise to do the same for you. Now, it's at this point, someone's going to say, Well, isn't it enough that I attend the church? Doesn't attendance make me a member? This gets fuzzy. This gets fuzzy. So what if someone attends twice a year? Twice a year. But they call themselves attenders, and they say, this is the church I attend. Good enough? I don't know. What if they attend, let's say, once a month? Is that enough? Is that enough to make the profession of faith known to the leaders of the church and the other attenders? You see how fuzzy this gets? Where does the line get drawn? This is where there has to be. There has to be some formal process. Now, I would contend in the context, the historic context of the New Testament, the formal process was primarily conversion with its inclusion of faith, repentance, and baptism. That's how someone became known as a church member in the New Testament. Baptism, a very public announcement that says to everyone, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, so, so help me do that, and I commit to help you. So all Christians, I would contend, are called to a definite, easily recognizable relationship to a local church, both its leaders and fellow members. And the clearest way to do this is through church membership. Now, one reason I think this whole idea of church membership may sound funky to you is is our non-committal cultural climate. There's a non-committal cultural climate. I recently discovered that there's an app out there that will use your location to populate your calendar with local stuff that's happening. Pulled from public event information on sites like Eventbrite. So you open up the app, you click on the Get Busy button, and in an instant, your blank schedule turns into a confetti of things to do. Nat Towson, 29-year-old, go figure, 29-year-old comedian from Manhattan conceived of this idea during New York City Comedy Hack Day. Three-day event, It paired app developers with comics to build humorous apps. Towson and his team spent about two days coding and preparing for the final pitch, and they were ultimately crowned the grand prize winners for that year's festival. The app now, I think, has real potential as an event aggregation and discovery tool. I do think that that could be uh, something that's useful. But Towson, the creator said half-jokingly, all of that is secondary. It's for people who want to avoid doing things. That's why we made it. Could you pull up your calendar and says, oh, I'm busy. I've got something going on. 
Now, the fact that this app won with that as its stated purpose tells me a lot. It tells me a lot. Third question, what is a church member called to? You remember Acts 2.41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they became members of the church, cool. What happened next? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now normally when we think of being a member of something, we think of the perks associated with it. Yeah, we pay our dues Then we get products and services in return. Isn't that how it works? Let me tell you something. That's why church membership has been so disfigured. Let me put it bluntly. Church membership is a job you do, not a service offered to you. You want it distilled down, that's it. Church membership is a job you do, not a service offered to you. So when you gather with God's people, whatever the context, think of it as going to work, not a movie. Hmm? When you become a church member, you put the uniform on and you go to work. Or you can think of it in, in, in Paul's terms of the family. Church members are members of God's family. Think of all the time and energy and commitment level you have to your family. How much of your life is exhausted doing that? Church membership is like fulfilling your duties within the family, devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching, devoting yourself to fellowship with other church members, devoting yourself to prayer and sacrificial giving, assisting those in need, dwelling together in unity and worship. So church membership is a job God calls you to do once he has marked you off as one of his children. And every Christian is called to this. Every Christian is called to this. The New Testament does not teach tiered Christianity or degrees of seriousness or commitment. The New Testament teaches just one kind of Christian. One kind of Christian. Repentant, faith-filled, church member, devoted to the scriptures, devoted to fellowship, prayer, giving, sharing, unity, worship. This is the only kind of Christian there is. Now, I think some of us like the idea of this more than the reality. We're a little bit like, we're a, little bit like a story of a teenage boy. Um, his father was, was quite skeptical of his son's determination to build bulging muscles. As he followed him to the deport, department store's weightlifting department, where they admired a set of weights. The teenager said, please, Dad, please. I promise I'll use them every day. Dad said, I don't know, Michael. It's really a commitment on your part. Please, Dad. They're not cheap either. I'll use them, Dad. I promise. You'll see. Well, he finally won them over. 
The father paid for the equipment and he headed to the door. And after a few steps, he heard his son behind him say, what? You mean I have to carry him to the car? (laughs) We're a lot like that. We like the idea of this. We like the idea of this. But the reality, I don't want to have to carry it to the car. What is the process then for becoming a church member? What is the process? This is where the scriptures afford flexibility. The process doesn't have to look the same everywhere. But given what we've seen, there are some non-negotiables. First, assess the person's profession of faith. Right? A church member is a Christian. All right. You're not a member of the body of Christ if you're not a genuine believer and follower of Jesus Christ. It's foundational. This is basic. So whatever the totality of the church membership process looks like, there has to be a way that this can be assessed. Now, this is a job typically for the elders of the church. As shepherds of the flock, this is part of their job description, part of their authority. Just like you don't want your oncologist declaring you cancer-free when your body's filled with it, so you don't want people telling you you're standing before God as solid when it's not. Second, I would emphasize baptism. A church member is a Christian, and I'll reiterate last week's message. The New Testament teaching on conversion tends to group together repentance, faith, baptism. They repented, were baptized, added to the church. All three tend to be grouped together. Third, orient church members to their job. There has to be a process in place where we teach Christians about church membership and what it entails. Or to phrase that a little bit differently, there has to be a process in place where we teach Christians about the normal Christian life. Becoming a church member, which is the responsibility of every Christian, is like getting a job, not receiving membership perks. It's like fulfilling family responsibilities, not getting valet parking. If Christians are called to church membership, they need to know the job description. If church membership is like getting a job, not going to a movie, church members need to know what the job description is. Fourth, make it clear who members are. This is where we have work to do at Alliance Bible Church. If becoming a church member uh, makes the member responsible for other members of the church because... Church membership is like becoming part of the body, where one body part contributes to the good of another, or becoming part of a household, where one family member invests in the good of the others. They need to know who they are. If you're going to devote yourself to the normal Christian life, we need to know who our fellow members are. Because as Acts 2 and other passages make clear, church members have mutual responsibility for each other. And I, as a pastor, and our elders need to know who they are responsible for. Church membership is the way that we accomplish that. Now, let me close with this. Personal takeaways. As I mentioned at the beginning, this, was, this has been an irritant for me since I was in college. An irritant. Three things I took away from this. First, church membership is simpler than we've made it. Church membership is simpler than we've made it. Many churches have made church membership feel like this optional, additional requirement. Can I put all those words together? Optional, additional requirement. The standard for church membership is no higher or lower than the standard for being a Christian. If you're a Christian, you are a member of the universal church, 
and ought to make that known to your local church. It's as simple as that. If you're a Christian, you are already a member of the universal church and you ought to make that known to your local church. If you're baptized here, by the way, you've done most of the work already. You've done most of the work already. If you're baptized at another church after, uh, after becoming a believer, you don't get baptized again, but you have to figure out a way to let it be known to the elders and other church members that you're a baptized Christ follower and we have a process in place that makes it conducive to that. It's our church membership class. This has been happening for years and years and years at Alliance Bible Church. Pastor Duane will be leading that August 22nd, 29, part one, part two. We need two weeks to, to go through that. You can show up and ask your questions. So going through the membership process is the way you let it be known to the elders of the church that you're submitting your discipleship to their oversight, and it's the way you let, let it be known to other church members that you are here to serve and encourage them as they will do for you. Second takeaway, personal takeaway, is that being a Christian is a higher calling than we've made it. Those added to the church through repentance, faith, baptism, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, to worship, to gathering with other believers frequently, to generosity, caring for those in need. That's not superstar Christianity. That's just normal Christianity. So we ought to lovingly warn those who are content with less than this. Is something less than normal Christianity Christianity at all? So if you're a Christian, you've been given a lofty calling with a job to do in the church. Being a Christian is a higher calling than we've made it. And third, personal takeaways, the church is meant to be more public and visible than we think. I I think our modern world's obsession with privacy is rubbing us here, and it's hindering our acceptance of embracing the importance of church membership and the formality that comes with it. The church, and by that I mean Christians, and by that I mean church members, are meant to be more public and visible than we'd like to think. The church was never meant to be a secretive society. Uh, you, You weren't, as a Christian, you were not meant to hide from other Christians or elders in a church the fact that you're a Jesus follower. You weren't meant to hide that. It's quite the opposite. You were actually, you were actually meant to publicly declare to fellow church members and elders, you're a Christian. Consider the places where Jesus talks about his followers being light to the world. You are light on a hill. There's nothing secretive about that. There's nothing secretive about that. It's very public. Or consider how active Jesus and the disciples were in traveling from town to town to preach the gospel. Many times in public forums, there was nothing secretive about this. The same ministry continued with the apostles in the book of Acts. You talk about making a noise from town to town. They did that. There was nothing secretive about the church. Think about the practice of baptism. That was an incredibly public act. The church is meant to be more public and visible than we like to think. And church membership is one way we do that. Now, 
after saying all this, I would suspect that many of us will still struggle with the idea of membership in some particular local church. I understand that. I've mentioned to you I've been wrestling with this for, for over 20 years. My last ditch effort to clarify this comes from the real world. The people on the planet who best understand church membership are Christians who live in countries with state-sponsored persecution. Okay? I guarantee it. The people on the planet who best understand church membership in some particular local church are Christians who live in countries with state-sponsored persecution. Okay? In those nations, <laughs> in those nations, there is no dabbling on the edges of the church because it's simply too risky and dangerous to dabble on the edges in these countries. If you're not sold out, that this is real and legit and powerful, if you're not sold out, if you're not all in on Jesus and the church, you don't take the unnecessary risk of dipping your toe in the water. In churches, in, in countries like this, there is no such thing as on-the-fence Christians, because it's simply too volatile and too risky if you're not completely in on this thing. You don't just, you don't tip your toe in the water. Nope. No, 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 no. You're all in or you're all out. That's what it's like in nations with state-sponsored persecution. There's no, I'll attend occasionally or when it's convenient or when I feel like it. These brothers and sisters have put their lives at risk by being baptized into a local church and devoting themselves to the Lord and each other. It's all they have. So don't talk to them about voluntary membership as if the church is a bowling league. They know the price of their new allegiance. They know it well. And of course, what I admire about Christians in these places is that they understand the fuel and passion to risk it all in commitment to Christ and each other comes from what Jesus did for us. This was not a New Year's resolution they woke up with one morning and decided to do. In forming the church and gathering together a redeemed group of people, Jesus didn't dip his toe in the water it was not convenient for him. He went all the way in order to make an all-the-way group of people who are sold out for him and each other. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, am, I stand amazed at the richness of the scripture's teaching on the church. There's so much more to be discovered here. Um, Lord, we know that you put all these details in there for reasons, for purposes, things that we need to know and discover. And I pray that we would continue to do that because we want to be members of the body of Christ in precisely the ways and means you wanted us to be. We want to be functioning members of the body of Christ. 
We know that's for our good. And we know that that's how Jesus is made much of ultimately. And Lord, this isn't just trying to be cute with architectural designs and how an organization works. That's not what this is about. We know that these blueprints are here because this is what will lead to maximum glory and honor of Jesus. He is what this is about. So give us eyes to see it. Give us convictions that burn with intensity over it. We ask these things, we pray these things to the glory of Jesus' name alone. Amen.